This is the Brothers on Books podcast, the greatest podcast with the best brothers talking about the best books. Please welcome your hosts, Jack and Alex, the Brothers on Books. What to do, what to do. This is the Brothers on Books podcast, where we find great books that will give you real value and actionable steps and have fun in the process. Please reach out to us at brothersonbooks at gmail.com for any book recommendations, or if you would like to be a guest host for a particular book you have in mind. A great review or rating on whichever platform you're listening to would be greatly appreciated. Lastly, if you can think of any friend, family member, or coworker that might like this episode, please pass it along. For the original episodes, the OGs, please visit brothersonbooks.com. I'm Alex Allwile, and today I'm alone doing a solo mission. Today I am doing the book, Failed State, The Abuse of Power and the Assault on Democracy by Noam Chomsky. Uh, Just a quick author blurb, Noam Chomsky is trained as a linguist. He has become famous through some of his political activism and his outspoken uh, beliefs on a variety of different social critiques, politics, war, He's very outspoken on the United States government, as well as uh, the Israeli-Palestine conflict, and then just his sort of in capitalism, socialism to begin with. Uh, He considers himself a libertarian socialist, which I had to look up, and I'm still, to be honest with you, not entirely sure what that actually means. It seems somewhat as an oxymoron to me, but so it goes. The way I came upon this book is... One of my favorite authors is a guy named Thomas Sowell, who's an economics professor at, I believe, now Stanford. Uh, He wrote a book called Intellectuals in Society, where he criticized, for the most part, uh, academics who would then take political stances and write very sort of scathing reviews on politics when they themselves were really experts in very drastically different fields. So they weren't really experts in in that type of field. Thomas Sowell's book, uh, Intellectuals in Society, was almost a direct critique on Noam Chomsky because Chomsky became uh, trained as a linguist. And then he sort of says that uh, people in those types of fields where there's not a lot of recognition outside of your field have to do other things in the media to become sort of famous and sort of grow their name. And they end up speaking outside of their realm of uh, competency. I don't, I don't remember if Thomas Sowell actually called him out in the book, but Eric Nichols in his book, The Death for Expertise, legitimately does single out Noam Chomsky for this exact for this exact thing, where he's saying that he's speaking on issues that he is not an expert in. So with that said, uh, I'd read quite a few of Thomas Sowell's books, and I always really liked it. And he criticizes academics a lot. After reading Eric Nichols' book, The Death of Expertise, I felt like it's always good to get a balanced view of opinion. So I went ahead and I actually listened to this book, Failed State. And you know, bear with me when you. When I listen to books, a lot of times I do lose some things. I don't think I absorbed everything that he was saying, but I did get the gist of a lot. There was a good amount that I agreed with, and I'll start with that from the book. And mainly what I I felt like he was saying is that the United States in many regards is hypocritical in how it deals sort of other nations and that it will say and do things or sign treaties, uh, however it does not uh, hold itself to those treaties and or opinions unless it benefits the United States. And as soon as 
it doesn't benefit the United States, uh, they will sort of, I guess we as a country will act in whatever ways in our best interest. A lot of that comes back to how he says that we as a country are trying to promote democracy, you know, throughout the rest of the world and how we're going into other countries and trying to put in governments where the locals in those countries don't necessarily want us there. And they're not really happy with how they don't they don't view us as friendly, like we're trying to help. Uh, so sort of in when I was listening to this, it sort of took me back to one of the other books Jack and I had done, The Dictator's Handbook. I believe that was episode 10. I'll, I'll put that episode in the show notes as well. The authors in that book sort of made the point of, you know, we say we want as a country, we say we want democracy everywhere, but in reality, a lot of times it's a lot easier to get the other countries to do what we want if they're actually more of a dictatorship because it becomes easier to pay them off. I think we go through the analysis of why that is in that episode, because when you have a dictatorship, uh, you really only have to pay off you know, one to you know, a handful of people. But in a democracy, you essentially, if you want the country to behave in a certain way, you have to essentially pay off a much greater amount of people. So that becomes, it becomes hard for control. Part of his argument stems from, we want people to do things a certain way. If they're not going to do things a certain way, we are not going to abide by that. So I, I thought that actually was a fair critique of the country, bully other countries into doing what we want. And is that right? Probably not, but uh, we do it. At a certain point, he started praising Venezuela and Cuba, this like relationship that Venezuela and Cuba had, primarily this relationship between Chavez and Castro, talking about how great of a society was and like how the governments provided for all the people and they had medical care and education. And at one point, and I think in the afterward, he was talking about how blanking on the natural disaster that had happened, but how Cuba had sent all these medical workers at their own expense and were helping out at this natural disaster. And he then brought up one very cold winter, how this charity had asked all these major oil companies to sort of give reduced oil prices to the poor people in the northern parts of America, because they weren't going to be able to afford to heat their houses. The only oil company that was willing to do it was Sitco, which is, a, I guess, a Venezuelan-owned company. So on top of sort of talking about how great these two countries were. He sort of seemed to lead out. I mean, this book came out in 06. Who knows what was going on in Venezuela? I mean, just some quick notes that I wrote about Chavez. Chavez took power in 1999 through technically an election. Uh, during his reign as president, which ended in 2013, he suppressed the press, manipulated electoral laws, and then would have uh, people that criticized the government arrested. To me, that doesn't sound like a very free country or particularly a country I would want to live in. That to me sounds like a dictatorship or a communist country. His presidency saw a ridiculously increased murder rates, intentionally aligned himself with communist Cuba, described himself as a Marxist, which is, in my opinion, a euphemism for saying you want to be a dictator. Uh, then his successor, Nicolas Maduro, after Chavez died in 2013, Venezuela has continued to have hyperinflation, uh, increased uh, murder rate. Everyone wants to leave and people are having trouble feeding themselves. So yeah, that sounds like a great country to live in. Definitely a country that should be uh, 
praised. Uh, Castro, I give him, you know, Castro, I don't understand where he's coming from. Cuba has been a communist country for as long as I've been alive. And the most notable reason to know, if, a, in my opinion, the easiest way to know if a country is a place you want to live is just look at, you know, sort of the migration. I, I don't know anyone that's trying to move to Cuba, but for as long as I've been alive, I know people have been getting on boats and trying to sail to Florida to get out of Cuba. So if you're willing to get on a boat to try and smuggle yourself into a different country, if, if that's the true flow of migration, it's hard to say that uh, Cuba is so great and America is terrible. I have to say I took some sort of offense to, this, to these claims. After that, he was very, very critical of Israel and the Israeli-Palestinian war. Kind of, you know, I do sort of understand where he's coming from when he's saying that Israel sort of oppresses Palestinians. I, I tend to side with Israel. But on the same note, like what I would sort of say is that, you know, Israel is defending itself from terrorists. And what he would say is that they're only terrorists because Israel is oppressing them and they just want to live a life free of oppression with the ability to work and make money. In my opinion, not very critical of Hezbollah which I think it is a terrorist organization. And in their doctrine says they want to eliminate, I believe, the Jewish state. That seems sort of like a terrorist organization that wants to commit genocide. So yet again, very perplexed by his critiques. And finally, I just, I guess just some sort of the, some of the things that I had a problem with uh, from his perspective, he's very critical of, you know, the Bush administration and Clinton administration as well, very critical of reducing like social programs. So he started talking about, uh, he started talking about how evil it was that people wanted to reduce the Social Security programs. And I think this is where a lot of people, people hear like Social Security and they think that's a good thing. And, and it's not like, yes, it is a security blanket, right? But the thing you have to compare it to of whether or not it is is good for the entire group is how the money is being used. So there's other book that I just read, uh, Lords of Easy Money, which was a good a good read. And I'll plan on be doing a solo mission on that at some point. They did an analysis where they showed with the money that you're paying an average 25-year-old, the money that an average 25-year-old puts into Social Security, you could buy an insurance, an insurance package that would then start paying you out at 65, right around the same time that Social Security would be. And I don't remember the exact numbers, but through that insurance program, you would pay, I believe they said, roughly, you know, 75 to 50% that you would be putting into Social Security, and then you would be getting about double back. You know, in my opinion, the question isn't, you know, do you want to live in a society where, you know, you think your neighbors care about you, even if the outcome is better? Because that's kind of, I think, what he's arguing that, you know, everyone should, everyone should chip in and like help out everyone else, which I agree with, but I don't think it should be forced. I think you should just, you know, you should, as a person should want to do that. You shouldn't have the government decide that you're going to do that instead of what he's sort of saying is that everyone's just very selfish and they're out for themselves. What I would say is that everyone should just be educated to know how to take care of themselves. And then if something happens that you can then help out your neighbor actually be charitable. Being forced to be charitable is not charitable. So I, I would prefer to live in a society where everyone is just better off, not where everyone is forced to help each other and then they're worse off. He makes sort of a similar argument about universal health care saying that at some point, 
that he thought government-run healthcare would be more efficient. I, I find that somewhat hard to believe. I, I can't think of a single instance where a government-run business is more efficient than a private. Well, I shouldn't say that. In most cases, almost always on large scales, privately owned companies for that are for-profit have been shown to reduce costs, increase the goods and products, and are more efficient than their government counterparts. So I while I am by no means a healthcare expert, I would find it hard to believe that uh, if government took care of everything from a medical standpoint, it would become more efficient. He complains about the pharmaceutical companies, about why, you know, why do why do other countries get cheaper drugs than the United States? Uh, yet again, he sort of leaves out the point that almost, yes, the other countries do get the drugs cheaper than what we pay for them here. The thought is that people in the states that are paying for drugs will have insurance, one. Two, he leaves out the fact that almost all medical in in inventions and pharmaceutical drugs are made and developed in the United States. All those other countries are getting the leftover drugs that we have. For some reason, there's a shortage. You know, the drugs are not going to Australia. They're staying here. American citizens get the first dibs on the drugs. You may say that's not a big deal, but yet again, it kind of is. Like the rest of the world benefits from us having a capitalistic, I mean, I wouldn't even really call it a capitalistic, but we, we have a more capitalistic medical inventions and pharmaceuticals because a vast majority of all of the drugs are developed, medical inventions are made, new surgical techniques. And yet again, Tom Sol does an, a very interesting example where he shows the common critique is that we spend the most money on healthcare, but we have the best healthcare. Like we have the best doctors. When people need medical procedures done, if they can go somewhere, they, for the most part, come to the States. You don't see a lot of people that have the option to go elsewhere. You know, no one's flying to India to get surgery. And if they are, it's probably for different reasons. Uh, so I think with that said, that for the most part uh, wraps up my my thoughts. Like I said, I, I think I actually kind of want to I kind of want to go back and actually reread this just so I can really hone hone out what uh, what I thought. I haven't been as perplexed after reading a book as I what why well, I, I listened to this, but I haven't been as perplexed about a book after listening to this as I I was in a long time. Some of the things I just obviously very very much disagree with. Uh, I'll be looking to do some of the other books I mentioned in this episode, uh, Thomas Sowell's Intellectuals and Society, uh, Lords of Easy Money was a good read. And then I, I don't think I brought it up, but I just read uh, also, or I just also listened to Douglas Murray's uh, War on the West, which I thought was actually a good uh, corollary to this. Talked about the exact same things and almost like, why does everyone hate and want to criticize, you know, America? I, and I would lump Israel into that as well. It seems like America and Israel get a, and England, you know, looked at under a, a very strong microscope when the rest of the world, a lot of times get sort of a free pass. Uh, so with that said, uh, I mean, overall, it was definitely an interesting read or interesting listen. It's always good to listen to people who sort of disagree with you and see how they see the world. So with that said, please reach out to us at brothersonbooks at gmail.com for any book recommendations, or if you would like to be a guest host for a particular book you have in mind. 
a great review or rating on whichever platform you're listening to would be greatly appreciated. And lastly, if you can think of any friend, family member, or coworker, they might like this episode, please pass it along. Uh, yet again, I'm Alex Elwell, and this was my solo mission, looking to talk to you guys again soon.